Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, today. And today we have Dr. Sam Madera, naturopathic physician that practices out of Seattle and Montana um, from the Apollo Health Clinic. And he, we are going to be talking about men's sexual health today. And um, he has uh, he has counseled thousands of men on this issue, and this issue is a big issue. There's something. There's a most of things that we can prevent, and sexual health is very important. Uh, it's a very very important part of our lives, and we want to make sure that men are um, optimized in their sexual health. So we have invited Dr. Madera on our podcast today to make sure that's the case. So Dr. Madera, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about this. It's a big problem for a lot of people, and I think a lot of them don't know that it's there's some easy fixes potentially, and um, other fixes and solutions that maybe take a little bit more involvement. But there's definitely a solution. Absolutely. And let's just kind of qualify and define a little bit when we say sexual health. Um, I look at it as there's three components. So um, sexual health would be desire. So libido, um, or lack thereof, so not just wanting to have sex, but, and then the second one would be for men would be erectile dysfunction, which can be, you know, obviously affect sexual health. And the third one would be um, lack of orgasm. And that is definitely an issue also. And there are many medications that can affect all three of those things. So I think that's one of the important things. Many medications, prescribed medications and medications that um, are used either legally or illegally. Um, and we are going to discuss those today because it can have a big effect on all three of those. So let's just go into that now, um, um, Sam. And let's let's just start with because I know you've been, you know, I follow I follow you on Instagram, and um, you've been a big, you've been done a big educational program on beer, specifically IPAs and sexual health. Um, can you can you go into that a little bit now? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, most, pretty much all beer has hops in it and IPAs and some other beers have quite a bit more hops in them. And, um, there's a couple of things with hops. Hops is a phytoestrogen. So it's a plant estrogen and it's one of the most potent plant estrogens on the planet. It's so potent that when, um, young girls who are, you know, haven't had a, a menstrual cycle yet harvest it usually the next day they start their menses so if they're you know 10 or 11 or and they are harvesting a lot of hops all day then the next day they can you know start menstruating and um it's you know a calming herb it's used it's been used in herbal medicine for hundreds of years for insomnia it's very bitter so combined with other herbs it can help with digestion especially with the you know stomach and stuff like that but since it's such a calming sedative herb a lot of men actually aren't after alcohol as much as they may think as more of the hops and it's you know basically they're they're self-medicating with the hops and hops has um a lot you know there's a lot going on with the the chemistry of it but basically it's a plant estrogen and if you get enough of it we actually see men's estrogen levels in their blood go through the roof. So that's, that's a huge issue. Um, especially if they're 
on testosterone therapy and they're injecting or using a cream of testosterone, their estrogen level will skyrocket and they'll have, you know, erectile dysfunction. When you have that ratio of free and total testosterone off between testosterone and estrogen, that's a, a huge issue. So, um, that, that also can lead to other problems later on, but, um, you know, mood issues, which kind of play into this low libido picture, this patient picture of somebody who maybe, uh, seems a little, uh, depressed or just unmotivated. They may have mood swings. Um, I'm not saying that hops does that all by itself, but there's other things that are already in people's lifestyles that could be contributing to that and do. Um, you know, having a lot of inflammation in the body. So this perfect storm uh, with drinking uh, a lot of beer. The other issue with beer and hops is that hops is sprayed with Roundup and Roundup is, the other name for it is glyphosate. Glyphosate is uh, a chelating agent. So it pulls out minerals out of the body, but it, it also um, has been deemed um, carcinogenic and uh, linked in multiple court cases to lymphomas, specifically lymphomas and uh, breast cancers. So you have people that are, you know, have sued Monsanto because they're basically dying from lymphoma and, and you know, they get maybe a couple hundred million and then they die. So the issue with hops is actually greater than just messing with your sex life. It could contribute to cancer. And there's a lot of things that contribute to cancer can uh, be part of that picture. Usually it's many, it's multifactorial, you know, autoimmune disease, et cetera. So um, case in point is they dry the hops with glyphosate. Hops is a plant estrogen. And I mean, that's basically a way to think about it. You're basically drinking estrogen. <clears throat> so if you're eating a paleo diet or a keto diet and you're drinking a lot of beer, first of all, beer is not part of those diets right right so, so really <laughs> but yeah I, and drink beer right I, although it's i'm glad you comment on that because I, I i see many people that do that and it's like well no i'm i'm eating keto or i'm eating paleo and then you know they're drinking large quantities of not just beer but but alcohol and it's like that kind of in some ways defeats the purpose um so yes keep going please yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, alcohol itself uh, increases estrogen too. So, um, you know, moderation usually, I mean, if somebody can take one month off of alcohol in the first half of the year and one month off in the second half of the year, just to let their body kind of cleanse out because yeah. alcohol does have a lot of detrimental effects and they, they've done um, cross um population studies, these massive longitudinal population studies between countries where, you know, because of their religion, they don't drink alcohol. And then countries like Britain, where they drink a ton of alcohol, kind of like uh, people do here in the Pacific Northwest. And they showed to the shock of the researchers and uh, people who were overseeing these large trials, that there was no amount of alcohol that was approved as healthy or in their words, safe to consume. So a lot of this belief that I'm drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a week and um, which isn't that much wine or I'm, I'm drinking a bottle of wine at night um, and I'm getting my resveratrol 
and a high-powered antioxidant that's connected to a lot of longevity studies, you can get more of that in a supplement, high-quality supplement that I can prescribe for you for not that much money and save your money on your wine membership and and possibly prevent something like breast cancer in women or other cancers with drinking too much wine because wine is full of glyphosate too. It's also chock full of mold and things like that. So um, I'm not trying to scare people away from enjoying their beverages, but you know, if you, if you take, you know, one or two months off a year and then two to three consecutive days a week and, you know, and then the days that you do drink, it's, you know, one to two in, in a day. So I know during this whole pandemic, there's been a lot of day drinking that I've been hearing about where people are, you know, cracking open the bottles around noon and then um, drinking the rest of the day or even potentially earlier. And that to me sounds like alcoholism. So if that's going on with someone, you know, they may need to get into treatment. That's a little bit more severe. That's not really what I came here to talk about today, but I know that alcoholism is a huge problem, especially in the, um, for a lot of men who are suffering from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can still enjoy and, and, uh, have one or two and take it or leave it. And, you know, if you can find organic beers, there's, um, uh, organic beers you can look up online and, you know, try those instead. That would be a good way to go. And, you know, I, I think in life we're meant to enjoy things and For sure. have a good time. So if you, most of the time when you're drinking, if you're having a good time and, you know, you're not like huddled up in a corner by yourself getting drunk or in, in a bar by yourself, just getting tanked, that's, I think it's fine as long as the conditions are, you know, mostly joyous and healthy. And, you know, I'm not here to like tell people how to enjoy their lives or whatnot, but I think that it's fine for most people to have a couple of drinks here and there. Uh, but there are a lot of people that, you know, overindulge and it's just a matter of switching to other ways to cope with their stress and, socialize and i think especially with men ironically beer has become this macho thing yeah it has been for a very long time kind of like how you know back in the marlboro marlboro cigarette days like cowboys were you know in the ad smoking cigarettes and um you know then they died of lung cancer later and then everybody freaked out and now people are still smoking cigarettes but mostly more outside of the u.s as as far as i know um compared to what's going on in the U.S. with cigarettes. But with alcohol, it's still this kind of macho thing. You know, you see it in movies, you see it in advertising, you see it in your friends, in your community. And it's ironic because beer is the furthest furthest thing from being macho. So, you know, if you want to do something to improve your testosterone, go do a workout, you know, go for a hike or lift some weights get more sleep, um, you know, actually work on your muscle definition or something like that. And then you can kind of show that off. So, um, yeah, as far as that plays into sexual health, we see a lot of erectile dysfunction with people drink too much, um, just inability to get an erection and, um, really high estrogen levels. So that's, you know, that's usually not what people want. Um, and, you know, I've seen it happen with people just drinking like a six pack, you know, six pack of light beer. They're not probably even really getting that drunk off of that because there's not that much alcohol 
but again, there's a lot of hops. So, well, and I've seen studies that you know one or two beers can affect your sexual health and not just erectile dysfunction. Um, usually, that's more when, from what I've researched, is more from when somebody overindulges and gets drunk. But one or two beers can affect the ability to orgasm. Um, you know, because alcohol is a drug, and that's what people forget. And and I like your comment too about alcohol because this is what. I, I over and over on this program, I, I've said this and I'll say it again. And it's not that I don't drink sometimes, but alcohol is a poison, period. And when your body, when alcohol is in your body, it is looked at as a poison. And your body does everything it can to get rid of that poison. And that also means there's a lot of other good functions that are going on in your body that cannot happen anymore because your body is so tied up dealing with that poison so there is no amount of safe alcohol that's that that's that is just true it is a poison period so i know that wine study like you were kind of referencing sam um you know especially with red wine years ago they said oh one glass of red wine a week or a day one to two glasses a day is great because it's got antioxidants in it yeah i'm with you um, I think one to two glasses a week is plenty for any kind of alcohol. And still, it is a poison. Um, but you know those an- antioxidants that you get in that alcohol, in that red wine? Um, you can get that with um, you know, colorful fruits and vegetables too. So um, I would rather indulge in those than um, the wine because it's just a lot healthier for you. So in, in so many ways, it, when you drink alcohol... And you're trying to be on an exercise regimen. Um, it's really hard for your body to recover and get stronger and get bigger when you're trying to process alcohol as a poison. So um, I appreciate your expertise on that, Sam. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on to, speaking of another drug um, that's very common, especially in Washington State now that it's legal and you know, especially in the younger generation. I shouldn't say that because it's been around forever and people have used it forever, whether um, no matter what the generation, whether it's legal or illegal, but marijuana. Let's talk about marijuana and sexual health. How does marijuana affect sexual health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, so first of all, you know, cannabis, you know, there's different strains. It is in the same plant family as hops. So it's also phytoestrogen. And it, which is the cannabis family. And it, you know, in my opinion, it is a medicinal plant and can be used appropriately. And, you know, there's strains of hemp that have really no THC in them, hardly any amount of THC in them. And you can use, you know, CBD uh, from a quality source for, you know, topically for pain and things like that. And you know, I've seen, I just want to say that I've seen a lot of great things with medical cannabis. And unfortunately, Washington State has kind of ruined that um, over the years because the recreational cannabis side really went hard against it, lobbying against it in uh, Olympia, Washington, so in the state capital. So um, most of what's, what's happening here and why I say that is most of what's happening here is the, the THC uh, in cannabis is what's affecting inhibiting basically the signaling hormones there's lh and fsh from the anterior pituitary gland in the brain so basically think of there's these messages from the brain going to the testes and saying make more testosterone that's getting basically stopped or slowed down depending on how much thc somebody's consuming so if somebody is you know smoking cannabis every day 
or every other day, uh, every night before bed because they have chronic pain or you know insomnia, anxiety. There, I mean, there's other natural things that can potentially help with that, and you could, you know, maybe back off some of that that THC intake. I've uh, had people message me anecdotally that they were consuming a lot of cannabis for about three to six months and their total testosterone went below 200, uh, which for the listener, you know, you want your testosterone ideally at least, you know, 700 to 800 total testosterone, 30 free testosterone, uh, nanograms per deciliter and, you know, or higher. So, um, for, for total testosterone, 800 to 1200 would be awesome. So, or potentially higher if you're, you know, really doing a lot of exercise and, and weigh, you know, more than 200 pounds. So anyway, the point being is that this is inhibiting testosterone. So it's going to inhibit that libido. It's going to inhibit your um, ability potentially eventually. And, and in this person, it did to achieve an erection. And I mean, like you said, young people potentially are consuming more. Um, usually, you know, a lot of people are, are experimenting with cannabis and potentially they're late teenage and then they may become a lifetime uh, cannabis consumer. THC from cannabis is uh, causing issues with increasing cortisol in the adrenal gland and the adrenal gland plays a lot into libido, um, basically how you respond to stress through cortisol. And I recommend most people who are concerned about this get a free cortisol test, uh, saliva or urine test of their cortisol levels throughout the day. It's usually four samples, four to five samples throughout the day. And cortisol is a stress hormone for lack of a better explanation and um, for kind of a, an abbreviated explanation for the audience. And when you have cortisol disruption like this, it can really play into the low libido symptoms that some people may get from consuming cannabis. Not to say that everybody who consumes cannabis can have low libido. You actually, some people, you know, there's, there's the endocannabinoid system in our body of receptors. There's CB1 and CB2 receptor, and everybody's system is a little bit different with these receptors. So it's not you know, I can't make a blanket statement that everybody's gonna have low libido, but there is a strong inhibition of LH from the brain to the testes, decreasing testosterone over time. Not to say that if someone is, you know, consuming cannabis once a month, this is gonna happen. This is more for um, regular higher consumption. Um, also, you know, for kind of um, in general, just inhibiting the production of your steroid hormones, which testosterone is one of them. Um, and across the board, there was um, basically agreement in the research that this is causing uh, low sperm counts. So infertility in men, and a lot of people are dealing with infertility today. So that's why I mentioned that while it may not be related to your sexual health, uh, for a lot of married couples, at least, you know, earlier on in their marriage, the kind of the, their goal with sex is to have a child eventually. So, um, which, you know, may sound obvious, but if you're consuming cannabis or in cannabis plus alcohol, you're going to have lower in high quantities, you're going to have lower sperm counts. And that could be the main issue instead of spending, you know, 
$5,000 at a fertility clinic first, look at these easy things that you could potentially decrease and cut out of your life. And then you may be healthier and you may not have to spend all that money at a fertility clinic. It's Absolutely. And thank you for that education. Cause, um, I, I wasn't really, I mean, I, you can see that clinically in patients that consume, um, cannabis regularly, but, um, marijuana is a, it's a CNS depressant and it's a, it's a, and it depresses hormones. And if it depresses testosterone, um, like you were talking about through the LH and FSH system, um, in the pituitary, um, that makes a lot of sense because in general, um, to, uh, marijuana is a demotivating, is a demotivating drug. And yeah, it helps because it, it is a CNS depressant and stuff. It can help for, for chronic pain and, and stuff. But my theory is, is if you have some kind of pain, chronic back pain or something like that, and you are self-medicating with marijuana, there are a lot of other ways to fix that back pain rather than um, using a drug self-medicating. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Dr. Madeira, for, you know, if it decreases testosterone, cannabis decreases testosterone levels, that makes a lot of sense why a lot of people that smoke marijuana regularly are demotivated. So um, not just for sexual health, but many other reasons to not smoke cannabis regularly. So thank you for that uh, that uh, education um, tip. Absolutely. Now here's, yeah, now here's one that we were talking about in our... Um, pre-connection in our connection call um, pre-show and a lot of people don't realize this but um, training and overtraining can actually affect sexual health will you expand on that a little bit yeah so um, overtraining is going to actually eventually uh, increase your cortisol going back to the adrenal hormone and when cortisol is too high you're going to have lower testosterone so um, the perfect storm would be somebody's training for a competition, maybe uh, they're a triathlete or something, and they're having to overtrain because they started their training cycle too late and they're trying to catch up or something. And then on top of that, they're working they're in their company or they're you know working at their job and they're not sleeping that much because of the stress of work combined with training. So um, just the sleep alone will decrease testosterone and decrease libido and morning erections and lack of sleep that is. And that's been researched uh, in large population studies. Actually lack of sleep is more an issue aging for um you're going to lose more testosterone from not sleeping versus being five years older. Um, so going back to the overtraining is you're jacking up cortisol. If you're not getting the rest time that you need in between workouts. And the great thing now is there's technology. I mean, you can get, you know, they're pretty expensive, but you can get some of these watches, these uh, more fancy watches like uh, Garmin or Sunoto, especially if you do a lot of outdoor activities and, you know, things like, like you do a lot of mountain biking. Other people may do more mountaineering, like Sunoto watch is good for more of the mountaineering potentially. And it can tell you after a workout, you know, you record your workout and at the end of that workout, it will say rest for uh, 24 hours. And that for the listener, that doesn't mean, and most athletes will 
probably feel anxious if you tell them not to do anything for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, right. Usually that's active, <laughs> active recovery, right? Like don't sit on the couch and be a couch potato for 24 hours, you know, do some stretching, go for a walk, you know, go to the playground if you have kids and play with them and run around. That's, you know, still fine. But what we're talking about is like, don't try to go and um, do, you know, five by five, like deadlifts and power lifts and stuff that right eight hours later. So I think a lot of people overdo it, myself included. Usually when I get into something, it's, you know, I'm, I'm gung ho and I want to stay on a schedule and all these things. And that's why it's also important in some cases, especially if you um, only have a little bit of information on how to train or do weightlifting is to hire a coach. And a lot of coaches today are doing the virtual thing through Zoom and in other ways. So you can do that as well if, if that's something that um, you can afford and is important to you. So overtraining, think of it in, in the simplest terms, potentially you're going to see this great increase in cortisol especially if you're doing a lot of cardiovascular training and not doing any weightlifting. We call that chronic cardio. You see a lot of increase in cortisol and, and breakdown of muscle tissue even more. And that's why you see like these ultra marathon runners who are, you know, just super lean and don't have much muscle mass. And there's, <clears throat> there's a great book called Primal Blueprint by Mark Sisson. It's been around a while now. And um, Mark has his website, Mark's Daily Apple. I have no affiliation. I just like the work that he does. But he has before and after pictures when he was in his 20s and 30s doing these large marathons. And then he has, um, you know, and he was very, very thin, you know, not much muscle mass. And then now in his 50s and he is paddle boarding and doing push-ups and pull-ups and playing ultimate frisbee and, and lifting weights and stuff. And I mean, the guy looks completely ripped. He looks like a completely different person. So that's a great visual example of the difference between chronic cardio overtraining versus doing a lifestyle workout routine that is allowing your body to recover. And it's kind of how we evolved and more primal, if you will. Yeah. I, I, that's a big problem with um, endurance athletes, uh, you know, their, their body composition or lack of a lot of lean body mass. I mean, they might be lean, they just don't have a lot of muscle mass. And that can be a problem with many different disease states, including osteoporosis. And that's, um, I've, you know, I, I've been pretty fortunate because I have a powerlifting background. And even though I'm an endurance mountain bike racer now, um, I still believe in putting on a lot of lean body mass. And because um, as we get older, it's a lot harder to put that muscle mass on. So, um, yeah, big, big believer in that. So thank you for that tip. Um, overtraining, it's not as much as overtraining really is, and this is what my coach tells me. And I love your comment about getting a coach cause it's, you know, it's not about working out harder. It's about the first three words out of my coach's mouth when I met him was, we're going to teach you how to recover, 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 recover. It's, it's about recovery. So it's not necessarily about tr overtraining necessarily, although it can be, but it's about recovery, and recovery is really, really important. So um, what else do you have to say about actual training or overtraining? Is there some hours, time limits that you know of when it comes to um, overtraining and sexual health, or is it just is that really, really personal? I think it is individualized. And, I mean, you have somebody that's been an athlete pretty much their whole life, and they're, you know, used to being um, very active on most days 
uh, then you know they can probably go a little bit harder. I mean, also other things may play into this. Um, you know, their overall cardiovascular health and especially their vascular system. When you're talking about erection health, usually you know things like atherosclerosis are going to happen in those smaller capillaries before they happen. Um, before you really notice them, even though they are happening in the rest of the body at the same time. So if someone's, you know, having erectile dysfunction and they're very physically fit, you can still have um, clogging of your arteries and that could already be happening in the, in the penis already without you knowing it. So it may, you know, it may be related to the training. It may be more related to your nutritional plan, but I do think it is individual. And I really like what you said about the recovery. You know, it's about recovery and how you recover. And that for me, that usually goes back to testosterone. So if somebody has very low testosterone, a lot of men may not have any sexual symptoms. And I just say this because someone could be listening today and they may think, well, I don't really have that many issues. I don't really have any issues with the sexual stuff, but they're just not recovering from those heavy workouts or those harder workouts like they used to. And it's taking longer for them to not have sore muscles or, you know, not feel the workout as much. So, um, that's something that I hear a lot from men and that's the key kind of red flag that you may have lower testosterone than you want to have. And you want to optimize that testosterone sooner than later. Well, one thing they might not realize either is, you know, it does, testosterone does decline gradually over time. So, you know, when a man gets to be 50 and, you know, his new sexual normal um, is probably a lot different than it was when he was 30 and he might just not recognize that. So that's why it's important to see, you know, a, a doctor like yourself that can ask the appropriate questions and, um, you know, find out, you know, what, what, what really should, what, what healthy should look like. Cause some, some men don't don't anymore. So what about some medications? I know as a naturopath, um, you know, prescription medications are sometimes the, the last option. Um, but, you know, they're, they, they are, you know, especially coming from a pharmacist, they are very useful and very necessary at times. I think, you know, if you know mine and Janet's theory, it's, um, you know, we don't believe in a lot of long-term prescription medication for a lot of the chronic diseases that we, that we um, um, traditionally see in our healthcare system. That's one thing that changed, changed what Janet and I do is we, we really focus on a health and wellness model because we believe that, that um, our body, if we put the right stuff in it and we recover right and we eat right and we exercise right, that our body has a great ability to, um, you know, repair itself without a lot of medication, which, let's face it, medication for high blood pressure or, or high cholesterol um, is, is poison. So, and they're not without side effects. And, um, you know, there's a lot of blood pressure medications. There's a lot of um, antidepressant medications that can definitely affect sexual health. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, the antihypertensive medications, the blood pressure meds are going to affect sexual health. And, you know, you may be already doing testosterone optimization therapy, testosterone replacement therapy, and then um, be on a antihypertensive medication and you may notice, hey, I'm getting, I'm feeling stronger, feeling more energy, uh, but still having sexual health problems. And that's the time to go back to the doctor who prescribed that and 
figure out if you can take a different type of antidepressant medication that doesn't have that side effect, or if you can actually, you know, potentially reverse the hypertension by, you know, changing some diet and lifestyle things. So that's, that's a key thing that it's seen, you know, it's ubiquitous across the board, which, um, the other issue is the antidepressant sexual dysfunction um, disorder. It's basically mainly from SSRIs, but we also see it with tricyclic antidepressants, monamine oxidase inhibitors, uh, and these, you know, the dual neuroadrogenic, uh, serotoninogenic reuptake inhibitors all have been reported in large research trials, double blind trials to have sexual dysfunction. Um, ejaculatory delay yep. um, is one of the symptoms that you mentioned that is part of that um, with the uh, serotonergic drugs. So that's working on your serotonin. And actually, it's interesting because a lot of people today, men and women, actually don't have a serotonin deficiency. They have a dopamine issue. So um, if you need to be on a antidepressant medication for whatever reason while you're you know going to a therapist or you're working on a trauma or something like that you know these medications potentially could be life-saving for a period of time and mm -hmm. you know in my research they were actually designed to be used for about six months yep. while people are getting cognitive behavioral therapy so the, the issue with what i see it's kind of similar to let's say somebody was put on a statin medication for a year and they're it's time to work on your diet. It's kind of a similar situation in this, in this scenario, but instead of the diet, it's let's work on what's going on with the mental health, with all of this stuff that's going on in your life. And so that you don't have to be taking this medication at a high, high dose or at all potentially. And you may be able to eventually step down over time and switch off of this, um, Please, if you're listening to this, do not stop taking any medications after listening to this. Listen to your doctor, take your prescriptions, but go and talk to them and say, hey, if you are having some sexual dysfunction, hey, is there another medication I could switch to? And in some cases, things like Wellbutrin are better than some of these SSRIs, like uh, Prozac is a very popular one that a lot of people have heard of or maybe taking. Uh, so... <clears throat> low libido, um, ejaculatory delay are basically two of the, the main symptoms we see. And then we see, you know, some, in some cases it's weight gain with low libido, which those now you have two things that nobody wants. And it's, it's curious because you would think that someone would be more depressed if they had low libido and they were gaining weight, you know? Um, right. So I know the mind and psychology is a lot more complex than that, but you know, we do know that things like body weight and this inflammatory weight plays into things like depression and depression isn't based on a lot of inflammation in the brain and the gut brain access. So it's a lot bigger topic than, you know, that's not our topic today, but just a side note, there are some root cause issues that are going on physiologically that play into depression. So these medications, um, my concern for a lot of these medications is that <clears throat> they, even after people go off these medications, you could have long-standing uh, issues with ejaculatory delay, low libido for, you know, uh, they're showing these medications staying in people's bodies up to like 11, 12 months. 
at least affecting people's bodies. Affecting, so right. The, the half-life is way gone yeah. but as far as pharmacology, but the way that they have still impacted and informed the uh, neurotransmitter, uh, the neurotransmitter chemistry, the brain chemistry is still informing the side effect. So it's basically, you know, created a different pathway in the brain and or made that pathway stronger and it can take a while for people to unravel that so that's my main concern is not you know if someone's having side effects and it's just a couple of months you probably have time to switch this and not have the side effect anymore but if it's been years and years then this may be something that you really need to you know dig deep on and and try to unravel even more with maybe you know a psychologist a your psychiatrist or doctor who prescribed the medication and then a naturopathic doctor who specializes or, or knows how to work in these scenarios. So, um, yeah. And then, um, erectile dysfunction is also a side effect um, for antidepressants as well. So that's, um, you know, we got three side effects now from one, you know, big group, multiple types of, uh, yeah, well, and that doesn't even consider the that that's just the sexual side effects. That doesn't consider the other side effects of, you know, dry mouth and, you know, um, you know, the list goes on with with some of those medications. So, and I agree with you that, you know, I mean, they are needed. Antidepressants are definitely needed in 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 many circumstances, or maybe in a few circumstances. But long term, they were. I don't think they were ever really meant to be scribed in prescribed in most cases longer than six months i agree with you because there's so many other issues like diet and lifestyle um i mean i've i've posted this on our on and talked about on our radio show all the time the best antidepressant ever invented is exercise period there is no better antidepressant than than exercise and you know you talk about dopamine you want to increase your dopamine just go exercise that's the best way that's the best antidepressant and i i use it routinely believe me because there are many times where i'm not motivated to do a workout and i'm feeling a little bit depressed and um i do a workout and i feel like a million bucks so um, that's the best antidepressant ever ever invented sitting around on the couch playing computer games or watching tv is the best way to keep depressed and um get off the couch and move that's the best antidepressant ever invented So, um, and let's not forget too, this is what I think commonly, you know, people forget because they're not prescribed, but there's, you know, there's a lot of medications that you can take over the counter that can be dangerous and cause side effects. Like on our radio show Monday, we, we had a a doctor on from Arizona that had a patient that was taken over the counter NSAIDs, you know, ibuprofen and naproxen over the counter and ended up in the hospital with renal failure, you know, kidney failure. So, but he didn't tell his doctor about that because it's over the counter, so it must be safe. It must not have side effects. Well, that is absolutely not the case. And the the ones that affect sexual health that are over the counter that I can think of are antihistamines. Um, Benadryl or diphenhydramine is is probably the one that I can think of off the top of my head that's probably the most um, common that could cause those side effects because it's such a dirty drug and it affects so many different things in the body. Um, but diphenhydramine, also known as Benadryl, 
for plain allergies or people can use it for insomnia because one of the side effects of it, even though it's an antihistamine, um, because the way it works in the brain, it causes drowsiness. That's one of the side effects. So it's in some medications to help people sleep too over the counter. So um, that that drug is can cause sexual side effects for sure, especially um, lack of or delay in in um, ejaculation orgasm. So that's another thing to watch out for is over-the-counter drugs. So and if you have any questions, you know, feel free to, um, you know, ask, ask us or ask your pharmacist because hopefully they will know those things. And that being said, um, we'd love a caller today. If anybody wants to call in, you can call in and ask Dr. Madera a question, 509-537-0411. We always welcome questions. Or you can... Um, comment on Facebook if you have any questions, and we'll we'll try to get those to him. As always, we, we have two podcasts a week. We have a Monday podcast that we stream live here on Facebook and live on YouTube on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies YouTube channel, 1 to 2 p.m. every Monday. And our midweek podcast is usually on Thursday at 8 a.m., but it does vary depending on our guest schedule. So tune in for those and listen to us on your favorite podcast forum. So um, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Google Play, all those, your favorite podcast forms, we are on those. So, um, Dr. Madeira, how would you like to finish the show today um, in two minutes? Um, kind of sum up uh, what what you think is the best the best way that men can optimize their sexual health. Absolutely. Well, decrease the toxins in your life, uh, whether it be alcohol or other toxins you're exposed to, medications, and uh you know, eat a clean diet. So lots of fruits and vegetables, uh, meat, and, you know, get enough, get enough protein and healthy fats so you can make enough hormones. And, um, you know, if you don't know how to do that, work with somebody who can guide you through that. And then check your testosterone and estrogen levels, check your, get your blood levels of luteinizing hormone and make sure that all those are functioning the best that they can. And, if they're not, then you may need to um, get some testosterone replacement therapy. And that is, you know, life-changing for a lot of people. So, um, you know, check your testosterone levels annually if it is, you know, 800 or above. And uh, even if it is, check it annually. And then if it does start to go down, you'll know immediately that something's off and you need to make some changes. So, um, you know, make, work on recovery. If you're active a lot, uh, make sure that you're having enough recovery time and, you know, work with the coach if you need help with that. And then um, you should be in a good, pretty good spot there. All right. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for summing that up. And thank you for being on our podcast. And one thing, the purpose of this show is to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their own health care. So we have guests like yourself from all over the nation to help our viewers and listeners to, sh- to keep them empowered and educated on their own health. And one thing that is very, you know, we, we think in, in our society today that, you know, our health insurance plan is what keeps us healthy. And we, and we call it you know, we call it health insurance, but it's really not health insurance. It's it's sick care insurance. Um, one of the I wrote a book about it. It's called Sickened: How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. It's available on Amazon in Kindle form. Um, go to Amazon, download it there. 
And uh, one thing I talk about there in chapter six is it's it's a six step solution on how to fix it. And many of the things many many of the things that Dr. Madera talked about today is it. I mean, first of all, it starts with you. It starts with the patient. It starts with you, the viewer, the listener. You in charge of your own health care. I wrote a quote at the first of that chapter, and it says, "The best health insurance we have is not some policy we can buy. It's how we take care of our bodies. So it's what we eat." It's how we exercise. It's how we recover or sleep, period. Those are the three things that we can do um, to make our bodies healthy. There's a couple other details maybe that we could add to that and a lot of details in between, that's for sure, because um, you know all those things are really important and detailed, but that's how we can take care of our bodies. And you know, it's a movement that's really starting to gain traction. Um, if you follow follow the podcast or follow our, our YouTube channel, there's... I, you know, when I started this revolution many years ago, um, people thought I was crazy. And now there's a lot of people that are realizing that um, our sick care system, our health insurance system, mostly government payment system, is not there to keep us healthy. And if you follow Spike Owen, Spike Owen is a libertarian vice presidential candidate that is running for president of the United States with Joe Jorgensen. And they've got a couple of videos out there. And they talk about it, free health care. And not in free as in payment, but make health care free. Make it accessible. What they mean by that, they mean liberated. When people are in charge of their own health care and not the insurance company and not a doctor, then all of a sudden people are empowered. They're in charge. Service goes up. Prices go down, period. So check out Spike Cohen. Um, follow him on Facebook or Instagram because um, he's got some great ideas, him and Joe Jorgensen. So he really speaks my language. And we're going to have him on our show one of these days. He's out on a bus tour right now, so he's staying busy campaigning. So he's had to cancel a couple different times, but I'm excited for him to be on. So check out Spike Cohen, vice presidential candidate for Libertarian Party. And Dr. Madera, thank you for another wonderful show. I appreciate you being on. And I did send you a copy of my book. I hope you've had a chance to read it. And um, you've listened to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you, Dr. Madeira. Thank you.